So for the last few weeks, we've, as we've begun digging in the book of Philippians, we've seen that this church is a mature church. We've seen that this church is a church that loves the Lord and loves Paul. And Paul has started out uh, by praying for them, praying that, that God would, would bless them and be with them, praying for the, asking for their prayers. He said, we saw last week that he said, For I know that through your prayers and through the help of the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body whether by life or by death. So here Paul is in prison, he's in, in, in a jail cell, and he's literally praying, saying that it's because of your prayers and the work of the Holy Spirit of Jesus that I'm going to get through this. And last week we looked deeply at that and saw that in my own life, the, thing, the two things that I need to be able to function and get through is the prayers of my fellow believers and the work of the Holy Spirit in my life. And we said last week that you can hear in his voice the situation that he's in. He's, he's saying, I, I know that I'm not going to shame the gospel by denying it. I know that God's going to use this in my life. And so this morning, Paul turns to them. He's talking about what's going on in his life, what's going on in that jail cell in Rome, and now he turns to what's going on in their lives. And he says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. Now the first thing we need to do, because I'm sure you saw that twice Paul uses that term, the gospel. And I want us to, to walk away to this morning with a very clear understanding of what he's talking about. Because Paul is saying that he is working to advance the gospel, and that's why he's in jail. And he's saying to them that the gospel is what we're being persecuted about, and that's of the utmost importance. And I want us as a church to, this morning, if we don't figure anything else out, I want us to have a clear crystal clear comprehension of what is the gospel. Now, that word gospel, you've all heard what that means. We all know what it means. It just means good news. It just means good news. But it's something that's very specifically used throughout the New Testament. And I think that there is a difficulty in our world today understanding it. I, I put something up on Facebook uh, yesterday uh, on purpose to, to, to kind of set the stage for this. And it, it was, um, religion says that, oh no, I've messed up. I hope my dad doesn't find out. And the gospel says, oh no, I've messed up. I better call my dad. Now, that is not what the gospel is. That's the outworking of the gospel. And sometimes in the church, we get confused at what the gospel's outworking looks like, what our response to the gospel, with what the gospel is. And I would argue that in most of Christendom today, in America, not only do we not know what the gospel is, frequently from pulpits, things that are antithetical to the gospel are preached and being called the gospel. Our t-shirts, our music, all fall short 
R.C. Sproul did a survey of Christian publishers and asked, what is the gospel? Now you would think that people who are publishing books that are supposed to be going into Christians' hands should be able to answer that question pretty quickly. Less than 5% of the people who answered that question got it right. I, this week, watched a preacher that, if I said his name, you would all know who said this. He said, it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter who you've done it with. I'm here to tell you that God is not angry with you. If that's the truth, why do we need good news? Why do we need a gospel? If God's not angry with me, then what's the point? You see, but the Bible says something that's not popular to say. It's not fun. It doesn't feel good. But what the Bible says in the book of Romans is, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. That God's wrath and His anger rest over us. And that we, left to ourselves, have no hope if we don't believe that there is no need for good news. We don't believe the bad news. And throughout the Bible, it's almost like God was smart enough to paint a picture over and over and over again that mankind, no matter how good the circumstances he's put into, is going to mess it up. From Adam and Eve in the garden to Israel being brought through. God literally split a sea and walked them out of slavery on dry land. And they got to Israel and God said, you know what? You can live in houses you didn't build. You can, you can pull grapes off vines you've never tended. I'm giving you everything you want. I'm walking you into a land of milk and honey. And then the rest of Second Samuel, first and second Kings shows how when left to themselves, the Israelites just spiraled down and down and down. And after every king we just about read, let me restructure that sentence. Just about after every king we read, and Joe Blow did what was evil in the sight of God. In fact, his wickedness was greater than the wickedness of his father. We read it over and over and over again. And God shows us through that that man, even if he has God's Word laid in front of him, even if he has the circumstances exactly the way that they need to be, mankind left to himself is without hope. We trend toward wickedness. We trend toward being evil. We will be merciless. We will lie. We will steal. We will say whatever will get us elected and then get to Montgomery and throw it in a gas tax. We will... Lie to our neighbor to get our way. We will do whatever we can do so that we can have what we want. And then if what we want changes tomorrow, we'll lie again. And God's wrath hovers over us in our natural state. And we have no hope because as Paul says in Romans chapter 1 verse 8, the things of God are, make us angry because of our unrighteousness. We are, of all creation, the most despicable. And so, the good news comes. And again, if we don't believe the bad news, then the good news doesn't make any sense. I mean, think about 
how horrible chemotherapy is. I was just talking with a group of people and they were, we were talking about um, some people who go to this church who are going through chemotherapy treatments and their hair's falling out and they're throwing up all the time and they're just miserable. If you were going through that and you didn't understand why, you would think, what in the world are these people doing to me? But you realize that there's something worse if you don't go through the chemotherapy, right? That you will die. That you will die a suffering, painful death. And so, if somebody comes to me with the gospel and lays it out in front of me, and I don't believe that, that God's wrath is over me, then it doesn't make any sense. Now, I actually quoted that, uh, that R.C. Sproul's um, group had, had quizzed uh, the, the, the Christian publishers, and that only 5-6% of those people got it right, and a few years ago, and I had two different people come to me and say, well, defining the gospel is subjective, and so maybe, maybe we should be gracious and give them some slack. And I, w- I want you to understand, again, if we get nothing else out of the sermon today, the definition of the gospel is not subjective. It's not open to interpretation. It's very clearly laid out what the gospel is. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the clearest, Paul says this, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you're being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believe in vain. So, he's saying, I'm going to remind you of what the gospel is, so that there's no doubt in your mind. And we have to understand what the gospel is, because it is in which you stand, it's how you're saved, and it's how you hold fast. So we got to know it. Frontwards and backwards, we got to know it. It says, For I delivered to you as of first importance, which I also, what I also received. And then he defines the gospel. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. That He was buried. That He was raised on the third day in accordance to the Scriptures. That is the gospel. All the other things that we want to call it, you can call it that. And there are lots of subjective things that flow out of the gospel's work in our life. But the Bible does not, is not silent on what the gospel is. And what the gospel is, is that Jesus died according to the scripture. Which means it was prophesied, it wasn't a surprise, God wasn't in heaven on Good Friday going, oh no, what happened that it happened exactly the way God planned it. That he didn't just die, that he was buried. That there was no doubt in anybody's mind that he was dead. He didn't swoon, he wasn't sick, he didn't pass out. He was dead, and he was buried. And then, three days later, that stone got rolled away, and boom, a dead man walked. That's the gospel. Now, why I led by saying we've got to understand that God's wrath abides on us because that doesn't sound like good news, right? If I said, hey, I got some great news for you, and you said, what? And I said, somebody died. You would go, you've lost your mind. That doesn't sound like good news. But when we realize that God's punishment resides on us. In fact, Paul goes on to say that every day we build up more wrath 
That every day as we go through our day, we do more and more wicked stuff so that the bank is overflowing with God's wrath for me that I deserve. I don't deserve to be able to breathe. In fact, all of humanity was told in their representative of Adam, if you eat of the tree, on the day that you eat it, you will surely die. They ate, and so every day that a human being draws breath after that day is the grace of God at work. And so it is a miracle. It is bizarre that God lets these critters that He made live. We deserve death. And we keep sinning. It's not like we sin one time and then we're like, oh, that was, I shouldn't have done that. No. And we start sinning early. I, was, I always try to go by the nursery while, while we're singing and, and, and see the, some stuff. And one of the kids in there, I don't embarrass his parents, but one of the kids in there, sister was showing me something. And this kid is not 18, 19 months old. Walked by and reached out, grabbed the toy and ran. I got it. He and he knew what he was doing because that toy, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm not, you ain't getting it. He was being wicked and evil and he knew it and he liked it. And that's representative of all of us. We do the same thing, don't we? And so, if God's wrath is flowing toward us, yeah, JJ, you know it's your kid. You're looking at me going, yeah, I know who it is. (laughs) If God's wrath is flowing toward me, that somebody else was willing to step up and take my whooping is the best news. If I understand that God's wrath is what I deserve and Jesus took it in my place, then all of a sudden that's the best news. And the even better news is is that God accepted what He did because three days later He rose. Up from the grave He rose with a mighty triumph for His foes. And so because He got up out of that grave, we can be free. And so it is super important. And the rest of Philippians won't make any sense unless we realize that the gospel that Paul talks about throughout the book of Philippians is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of the Christ, the Son of the living God. And that He died in my place. And that He rose again, not surprising God, according to the Scripture. If we've got a handle on that, and we can hold that tight, then we can truck along through this, these texts and it makes sense. So Paul says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So once we understand the value and the import of the gospel, how is my life supposed to be worthy of that? Do you see the conundrum that I have as I read this? Those are big words that Paul's using there. I'm praying that your life would be worthy of the gospel. I mean, we watch a video like we watch the guy in in Laos and we go, oh, now his life is worthy of the gospel. We read about Paul and we go, well, his life is worthy of the gospel. But then I look at my life and go, I don't think so. In 1 Peter 2, 24, 
Jesus Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree. Why? That we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By His wounds you have been healed. And so what Paul is talking about when he says worthy of the gospel isn't going out and doing some big thing in the name of Christianity. He's not asking you to go in this text. He's not asking you to go start an orphanage. He's not asking you to sell everything that you've got and move to Zimbabwe. What he's talking about is living a life of righteousness. You see, the great miracle of Christianity is this. That God and His righteousness and holiness, can reach into the muck and the mire of this world and pull out a nasty, filthy human, save him or her, clean her up, and then put her back in the world, and she lives a righteous life. See, that's an impossibility. And that's exactly what the outflow of the gospel is supposed to be. That we are in this world, but not of it. That our lives change and we walk a new life. The way that we live a life that screams that the gospel is real is we do things that aren't natural for us to do. When somebody does you wrong, you forgive them. And you do good for them. Your natural sin tendencies pull you in one direction, and yet the gospel pulls you in another. And you let your life change in the light of that. Now as I was preparing this sermon, and I'm thinking about that, the question that came to my mind is, well, I can't do that. I mean, I can be better than that guy over there who's a drunk or a thief or... Somebody, I'd be better than him, but I can't live up to the, be worthy of the gospel. In Romans chapter 6, Paul says, We were buried together with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Now, I want you to understand the import of that. Now, as we talked about what the definition of the gospel is, we see that Jesus was the perfect sacrifice, that he was buried, and that he rose again. And when I said, and he rose again, everybody clap. Well, and well meaning you should. What that verse in Romans chapter 6 is saying is that we, when we became a believer, said, God, I'm a sinner. I can do nothing to save myself. And you died to yourself. That's what being a Christian is. It is saying that my will, my goals, my plans for myself, I bury them. And I'm going to walk in a new life. What this verse is saying, that the very power that took Jesus up out of the grave is at work in your life so that you can be a new creation. The very power that made a dead man walk is at work in your life so that you can be a new person. So that you can forgive. So that you can walk away from temptation. So that when somebody does pull out in front of you, you don't sit in the car and cuss at them. All of those things. That God can do, make those changes in you. 
fact, the text goes on to say in 11 through 14, So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Jesus Christ. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from the dead to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law but under grace. Paul there lays out very clearly how to defeat sin in your life. Let me... We've talked about the word for repentance, that repentance means to turn. And so I'm going in this direction... And we often act like repentance is just stopping doing the bad thing. I'm going to stop doing that stuff. Now I'm done. But repentance is actually, I'm going in one direction. I'm doing what I want to do. I'm living my life the way I want to live it. If anybody tells me to do anything, say, you're not the boss of me. I walk around with an only God can judge me t-shirt, which is the stupidest thing on earth to wear. Do you really want God to judge you? Because he knows your heart. Anyway, that's, that's, that's for free. We don't have to... Wow. Uh, So I'm going in this direction, and now I turn and start going in this direction. And so the way to fight sin is not, according to this text, it's not to just stop sinning. It's to stop sinning and start presenting your body for righteous actions. And so now, instead of letting my mind go wherever it wants to go about things that it shouldn't be thinking about, now I'm using my mind to pray for the, my neighbor, pray for my cousin, who every time he comes to the, the family reunion is that nasty racist guy who gets drunk. We all have that cousin, right? And so, and I'm not particularly thinking of any of my cousins. If any of you are watching, I'm not, it's not you, man. Um, <laughs> so... We have to turn and fight and present our members unto righteousness. We have to change what our goals are. We have to actually move in the direction of of living by faith. Because if all you do is stop, that's going to last about three days. If you take something out of your life, it's going to be replaced with something. And so you have to replace it with something else, something good, something of value. So you're right. You can't live the Christian walk. You can't live a life worthy of the gospel. But God can do it with you, through you. And then in this text, he says over and over, he talks about doing everything of one mind. He says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come or see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one faith, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. So, and we read this throughout the book of Philippians in, in 1, 3 through 5 I, uh, that we talked about a few weeks ago. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. And two, which we're looking at next week. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord in one body. It goes back to the principle that we saw last week, that we need each other. Accountability is a crazy thing. Being around your brothers in Christ who can call you to accountability is unbelievably powerful. 
John MacArthur talks about a young man that came to see him and, and, and confessed that he was doing some, he was going on the internet and looking at some vile, wicked sites. And John MacArthur simply gave him a notebook. John MacArthur's a little old, so he didn't know that you could do this digitally, but he gave him a notebook. He said, here's what I do. Every time you do that, I want you to write down what, what you went to, and what you saw. The next week, he came back to his office, and John MacArthur said, let me see your notebook. And he hands him the notebook, and there's nothing written in there. And he says, well, why didn't you write it down? He goes, well, I didn't go anywhere. And he's like, why not? And he said, because I didn't want to talk to you about it. There's power in that. Um, I have a, um, and I've got to get it right because I've said this before incorrectly. It's called triplexchurch.com. Not triplex.com. That's different. Um, but what that does is that installs some software in your computer so that anywhere that I go on my PC, anywhere that I go on my iPad, and gets a report once a week that says, here are the places that Tom's been that, he, that, that are questionable. Well, I'm not going to go look at some stuff if i got to sit down and talk to her about it. It just keeps you honest. It, keeps, it, it protects you. It's building a fence around that sin. And if we're all in one mind, we're working together, we're focused on the things that we, we're supposed to be focused on, I have found in the life of this church, I don't know if you guys remember, and those of you who were here, some of you weren't here then, but five years ago or so when I got here, there was a lot of fussing and fighting going on in, in, around some subjects. And for me, when I really saw that the church was starting to heal is when we started getting ready for VBS and people were working together. If we're all working together to help this kid hear the gospel, or we're all working together to just, you know, those little butter cookies that you, the kids put on their fan, best things ever. VB, that makes VBS a little cookie. So if we're getting the cookies out to the kids and we're working, if we're, we don't have time to fuss and fight about stupid things, do we? Because we're focused on doing what we're supposed to do. And so Paul is saying that if you're all of the same mind and you're all focused on the same things, then that's most of the problems that happen in a church are just going to kind of disappear. The final thing in this idea of being in one mind, we, we really see fleshed out in the book of Romans, in Romans chapter 12. Paul says, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith. So what Paul is saying is this. Is every person in this room, you have gifts. You have things that you do better than anybody else in this room. And the reason why God gave you those gifts was not so you could go, I am the best singer in this church. I just... Didn't know if you knew that, just want to make sure you know. I'm the best teacher in this church. i just throwing that out there so that everybody knows where I am. It's not the gifts that are given to you aren't given to you so that you can be puffed up in pride. The gifts that you have are given to you so that you can use them to build up the body of Christ. And so if we're doing what we're supposed to be doing, and I'm living my life and pouring my life out so that she is walking in her Christian walk better than she was before, and she, he is, and he is, he is, then I'm not going to be readily offended by stupid stuff that we're normally offended about. I'm going to be focused on making sure that their walk with Christ is greater than it was yesterday, today. Amen. And then the rest of this junk just kind of falls away. Paul goes on to say, 
Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, which is a fancy way to say an arrogant jerk. Do not live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. If we could just do that, this whole one mind thing would just fall right into place. All right, so I, this, the smell of the chili is getting to me, so we got to truck right along. Paul ends this little section by saying, Not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, that from God, for it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in Him, but also suffer for His sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. All right, this is not a popular text. Nobody is going to print this on a t-shirt. Paul is literally saying here that it has been granted, it's a gift, it's been granted to you to suffer. When we think about the things that God gives us, every good gift and perfect gift comes from above and comes down to the, from the Father of lights. When we think about the gifts that God has given us, nobody in here is going to go, oh yeah, and they're suffering. Isn't that an awesome gift? In fact, I would say 50% of the false prophet preachers in this country today, what they will tell you is, if you can just claim it in Jesus' name, you're never going to have to suffer. But what this text says is it's a gift. And this is not a standalone text. This isn't some kind of, uh, oh, well, Paul just misspoke here. We read the same thing over and over and over. And Paul's here specifically is talking about you will have opponents when you present the gospel. Now, here's the reality. We live in a fallen world, right? Sometimes things just break because it, the way it says it in the book of Ecclesiastes is it rains on the just and the unjust. If you go out to crank your car and it goes, that's not what he's talking about here necessarily. I, yesterday, I, I came up to, to cook the world's greatest chili. you got to try some during the chili cook-off. But I, I came up to start cooking it, and I, I wanted it to simmer. I am not the brightest bulb in the bulb box sometimes, and so I forgot beans. So I was like, i got to go to the store. And so I was just going to set a lid on top of the, the thing, and I couldn't find the lid that fit that particular pot. And so I'm looking for anything that I can set on top of it so it'll simmer, and I see a... Uh, like a muffin pan, just a round cookie sheet kind of cake, cake. It's a cake, cake, cake sheet, cake, the round, it's like two-inch sides. It's, tell me, what is it called? Cake pan. There you go. I really wanted something more fancy than that, but a cake pan. Found a cake pan that looked like it would fit perfectly, and so I was going to have upside down. I was going to set it on top of the, the, the pot, and when I went to set it, not only was it just a little bit smaller than I was thinking from my visual perspective, it fit perfectly like a piston down in the pot. <laughs> Which meant that I'm standing there looking at it, and I, I, I can't, you can't get, it's boiling, so you can't get your fingers down. There's no room to get your fingers around the pan. And so it's just, you know, and it'd rise up a little bit, and then it'd let the air out and go back down. And it's just, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, I've made a perpetual machine here on accident. And so... Actually, I wasn't nearly that nice about it at all. Um, I, I'm, I'm glad that there was nobody else in the church. Uh, so I, I, I tried to get, get to kind of make some, some um, 
chopsticks by taking two spoons and they didn't, wouldn't fit in there. And finally what I ended up doing was taking two different tongs and having one end flopping around poking me in the head and all this kind of stuff. And I was able with the two tongs to push up against it and then pick up on it and almost, and then it would go back down. I'm like, oh, you are, uh, Jesus saves, Jesus saves. Okay, here we go again. And after five or six times with the whole kitchen covered now in the chili little pus that would come out as it would get close and I'm covered in chili and there's a huge mess. I finally get it out. Now I can't say, well, I'm just suffering for Jesus sake. That's just one of those things. It happened because I'm an idiot. If I had taken about five more seconds and, and like hovered it there, oh, that's not going to fit. That's going to go right down in there. That's going to, that would make a funny sermon illustration. Um, I'm so glad I didn't do that and then moved on. No, so, but so I, I've heard people talk about this text and then talk about all the little thing, niggling things that happen in our life. It rains on the just and the unjust. This is specifically talking about persecution that comes against us because of the gospel. And Jesus said that that will happen. In John chapter 15, Jesus said, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of this world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Don't be shocked that the world will hate you. I, uh, I'm a fan of a, of a TV show, and, and the, I was really looking forward to the second season coming out. It's one of the Marvel TV shows. And the second season came out, and the antagonist, the bad guy, is a Bible-believing Christian. The writers wrote it so that the guy carries a Bible around all the time. He quotes scriptures. He murders people. The world will do everything in its power to paint what you believe. Either mock it or say that it's evil. It hates you. A servant is not greater than its master. And if they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep also yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name. So that when we suffer for the gospel's sake, realize that you're not suffering for your sake. And that's, that's the thing. If I'm a jerk as I talk to somebody and I suffer for that, that's not suffering for Jesus' sake. That's suffering because you're a jerk. And I, I hate to say this, I've done that before. If I go to a job and I say, you know what, all y'all are going to hell, and then I get fired from that job, that ain't suffering for Jesus' sake. But if I'm loving people and I'm doing what God's Word tells me to do, let me tell you something. You're not going to win a popularity contest. They're going to make fun of you because you're not going out after work to get a beer. You're not going to get that promotion because you weren't doing martini lunches with the boss. There are times when your lifestyle, because we live a life for Christ. When I lived in Columbia, all of the men at that job site had girlfriends all of them in fact i had people that made fun of me and would say you could learn spanish better if you got you a long-haired dictionary <laughs> but i couldn't do that and even to a deeper degree as you start talking about what the gospel's done in your life as you start loving people in jesus name you're going to have some people who respond to that in love and you're going to have some people who it just makes angry and when that happens, realize that they're not persecuting you. They're persecuting the Christ that's in you. Paul was imprisoning Christians. And yet when Jesus said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute? And he didn't say all those believers in Jerusalem. 
He said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? We can join in the sufferings of Christ. Jesus said in Matthew 5, Blessed, happy are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. In James it says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect. But realize that we're, in this case, we're suffering for the sake of Christ. And that's twofold. We've been given two gifts in this sentence. He says, For it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ that you should, first of all, not only believe in Him but suffer for His sake. So the first of that gift is that you believe. Do you not realize what a precious gift it is that God gave you grace so that you had the faith to call on His name. That is a gift we do not deserve. For by grace are you saved through faith. It is the gift of God, not of works. And then the second gift that he says here is to suffer. And so, you like me may read this and go, but I don't want to suffer. And there is suffering that is not necessarily a direct cause of the gospel. There is suffering that just happens in life. And did you know that God has said that He can use that? So we have the suffering that happens because we proclaim the gospel, because we are lights in a dark place, and there's suffering that happens that because we're in a dark world, and it's a fallen world. You know, some of the people in this room are going to get cancer. Some of the people in this room, by no fault of your own, your marriage is going to go south. There are some people in this room who are going to have children that pass away. We live in a fallen world. That's just the reality. And one of the dangers of the false gospel is it doesn't equip you to be prepared to deal with that. But the biblical gospel does. This is what Romans 8 says. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed is intercessing for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We were regarded as sheep to the slaughter. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors who, through Him who loved us. For I am certain that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything in all creation shall separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 8 being summed up is this. 
everything that comes at me, whether it's persecution from this world, whether it is cancer, whether it is hurt, whether it's being laid off from a job, whether it's having financial issues, whether it's my marriage falling apart, everything that comes to me is first coming through the hands of a God who loves you. There is no more condemnation if you're in Christ. We saw that the definition of the gospel is that Jesus took our condemnation that we deserve so that everything that's coming toward us, all things are going to work together in your life for your good and His glory. And He says, for who God foreknew, He predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. So everything that's coming at you, everything that happens, is happening in such a way that it is preparing you for the eternal weight of glory. None of it is wasted. Which is why Paul can say, Paul, the same man who said, twice I was beaten, I was shipwrecked, I was almost starved to death, I was left outside of a village for dead. That same Paul can refer to those things as this slight momentary affliction is preparing me for an eternal weight of glory. Which is why he ends this by saying, we are more than conquerors. We're not just conquerors. We don't just grin and bear it. We don't just suck it up till it's over. No, God is not just dumping stuff on us to see what he can take. He's giving us things to mold us and transform us and make us into the people that he can use. We are more than conquerors. Everything that comes into my life is strengthening me, is equipping me, is preparing me to be the man of God He has called me to be. And He's doing the same thing in your life if you're His. So when those sufferings come, we don't just grin and bear it. We don't say, ah, let me, just get me through this. No, we can look to the God who's letting it come to us and celebrate Him and say, He's enough. Because he died, and I died with him, and he rose. And so all the darkness has to scatter at his name. Father God, Lord, I pray that you would apply your word to our hearts. Oh God, we don't understand what it means to live in the light of the gospel. So God, I pray that you would begin as we dig deep in Philippians to mold us, to change us, to shift our hearts so that we have a gospel-centric view that we see that this world is not our home. It is our enemy. And we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness in high places. And they will not be victorious because the victory's already been won on the cross and in that empty grave. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.